Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name's Ara. Do you know what happened today, Ara? Yes. Today it was 15 degrees under the average for Arizona. Which is news, by the way, in Arizona. What I'm thinking of is the release of Sports Friends. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess that happened, too. Yeah, I still do not have my stuff, so I can't play Sports Friends. I need my PS3 or PS4, um, which will be here, I think, next Monday or Tuesday. So it's not far off, but it's not here. Um, and given that, I am choosing not to read the reviews, um, which I've seen. Like, I was surprised. I didn't – I don't know – I just thought this was going under the radar and that I'm the only person paying attention to this game. You think it's uh, over the radar now? I mean, it is because I saw at least two two reviews or mentions come up on the various sites today. Um, and that's that's cool that it's getting some coverage. It means other people will be interested in playing the game and therefore I might have someone else who wants to play with me. Um, although I just realized a few minutes ago that although I'll have the systems and the game... I've been really stingy about controller purchases for for these games. This, so is, un- this is unlike you, Alon. You've had more controllers in your possession than anyone else I know. Right? But it's because, like, I'll have multiple Xbox 360s, and people, um, you know, Johnny bought me a couple controllers at times. So that's how I ended up with, like, seven Xbox 360 controllers. But PS3, I've only ever had two. And PS4, I just have the one that came with the system. I literally haven't bought anything for the PS4. Wait, I haven't you, spent a dime on it since I bought the system. Are you the Are you the guy who gets as uh, gifts from people uh, controllers all the time because they can't think of what else to get you? Um, no, just one person bought me like a controller once that I've never even opened. Still, okay. Well, that's a lot less exciting than what I was thinking. Yeah. Now I do have seven PlayStation Move controllers, so I could play the Joust game pretty easily. But you know what else I found out? I don't know if we talked about this last week when I mentioned it was coming soon. Um, the, none the, of them are going to work. No, no, they'll they'll work on the they work on the PS3 and they work on the PS4, but the PS4 only can do four of them. Oh yeah, I remember you mentioning something. Yeah, about that. not seven. So that's a bummer. But uh, I figure I can probably find some cheapo PS3 controllers since it's not the current gen. Like I can go on Craigslist or something and pick a couple up. So that'll be one way to do it. Um, I wonder what it would what it had cost them to reduce that limit. Uh, you know what it saved them? You mean? Yeah, that one. It's probably just a different wireless chip that handles Bluetooth differently. Or it might be that it's the same chip, but they're, they have other things using up those channels. Hmm. Or dedicated to those channels so that you don't have the option to use a controller on them or something. I don't, I don't know how the hardware is built in the PS4 but, or designated, but um, it is I disappointing. A, I have a suspicion that it was more along the lines of uh, nobody's going to get seven people together to play anything. You know, you say that, but I'm like, what? What were they planning with the PS3? There is no seven-player or even more than four-player game that I can think of except for this Joust game that just came out. And the only reason it's limited to seven is because that's what the PS3 can do. Yeah. Uh, I have no explanation. If if my fantasizing is uh, consistent with reality, then it sounds like one of those corporate things where I'm sure you can appreciate, right, there's – some corporation makes a decision and they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then, you know, next year they make the exact opposite decision for what seems to be like just the logical process. You know, I, I'm thinking back to, and I, and I think we talked about this last week, um, that the PS3 versus the PS4, like it was developed in a really siloed fashion. So you've got, you know, the hardware developers do, working on X and the game developers working on Y, and they're not really talking and syncing up. And I wonder if the hardware developers were just like, well, this chip can do seven. That's better than four. So just do that. Like, don't do anything to limit it or, you know, spend the same money on a chip that can't do as much. We'll just put it in there and develop the controller. Because what's, I don't know if a lot of people know this. The PlayStation 4 controller, it tells you which controller slot you're using by the LED on the controller. There's four LEDs numbered one, two, three, and four. Right. I think you know that. But then if you have controllers in slots five, six, or seven, you've run out of LEDs. So what they do is they light two LEDs, the sum of which equals the slot you're in. So four plus one, four plus two, four plus three. Oh, so that's, that's right. Two, right. That's so programmery. It is. And it yet, makes and me yet be, cool. It's super like, you know, like hardware geekery kind of guy. Yeah. And 
I wonder if, you know, they were just like, well, that's cool. We could do it this way. And that's a little thing no one will know about. It'll be, it'll be neat. And then when the PlayStation 4 came along, they said, well, we only need four. So let's just build into the OS. We could do four. Like they started working together and talking to the game developers. And now you can cap it at four. That's fine. Yeah. That's also the type of thing that corporations will put the kibosh on because they think that anything that requires thought is going to be intractable or totally ineffective. What do you mean? Just coming up with a better solution to handle more than four? Well, it just sounds like – and once again, this is rampant speculation. It just sounds like the type of thing where someone would say, oh, it's just going to confuse users. They're not going to be able to understand what it is and so we shouldn't do it. Yeah, well – not not un, not completely unlike how I was at a restaurant this weekend, and we what did we do? We ordered some oh there was a menu item called Chernobyl beef or something like that, and the waitress was telling me about how the owner was asking the employees if they knew what Chernobyl was because he thought that Chernobyl was since was mostly a mostly unrecognizable and b as a consequence of that that it would somehow be bad, right? And, and I just – I hate that sort of attitude because it's such an anti-learning, anti-intellectual attitude. It's like if you don't know what it is, it's like, how, it's like how did anybody ever learn anything in the first place with that attitude? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, interestingly, getting back to the PlayStation 4, the controller doesn't have any LEDs on it that, that designate the controller Oh, yeah, maybe too much, too much money. Yeah, well, they just they put a different color on it, right? So it has a little color thing that spits out of the back of the controller. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Are you saying that you have to figure out what color means what number? Um, no, it's just the games would – they have a different option for sort of telling you which player you are. So instead of player one, two, three, or four, you're player red, orange, yellow, green, or, or whatever, right? Oh, I see. Well, okay. I guess that's another way to do it. Yeah. You know, I'd, but, I'd hate to play a game with a um, – you know, like a teal player and a green player. I mean, I, I'm sure they're still considered numbered slots, but it probably just tells you in the OS somewhere what number you are. I, I don't have the PS4 in front of me and I haven't used it in over a month, so I don't remember exactly. And someone might write in and say I'm wrong that there are, you know, LED number designations on it, but I'm pretty sure there are not. Um, but there is just that color bar on what's considered the top or the back of the controller. Um, which is actually useful for people who don't have the PlayStation Move controllers for the PlayStation 4 because the colors are part of the game. It's like red player one or you know pink player one or whatever. So it is good to have the color built in for that. Anyway, it's too much time on a game that I haven't even played yet. Hopefully by next week or the week after, I will have put some good time into it and be able to tell you about how awesome it is. But I suspect it is going to be pretty awesome. So what Fantastic. else do we have going on today? All right. What do we got? Well, we got the Zenimax thing. This is like a pretty big topic. Um, a lot's been written about this. You were We were talking about this a little bit before we started, and I think it, both of us are having a hard time finding the meat of this. Oh, I'll – okay. So first of all, <laughs> I'm going to catch myself before I instinctively respond to that. Okay. <laughs> Second of all – I think there's a lot of interesting depth here, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll have to take your word for it, so let explain me, that me, to me. Yeah, let me do a little recap here so people know uh, what we're talking about. So, ZeniMax is the company that published, uh, like, Elder Scrolls and blah, blah, blah. They are a very big company. They are not Bethesda Software. They own Bethesda Software. And Carmack, John Carmack, the famous programmer who is now one of the big important guys at Oculus VR, right, which is... He's a chief something. Developing the Oculus Rift. CTO, I think. Yeah, he's probably the chief of most of everything. Anyway, um, he used to work for ZeniMax, and when it became apparent, and none of this is in dispute, what I'm saying right now, when it became apparent to John Carmack that he wouldn't be able to develop VR things at ZeniMax, uh, since this is what he was mostly, most creatively interested in, it seems. That's when he went over to Oculus VR. 
And so there seems to be a period of time where he was basically investigating or doing some development of some PR things at ZeniMax before he went over to Oculus. And so now, um, you know, there was legal documents between all of these parties, um, the depth of which, you know, we don't fully appreciate. But basically what's happened now is ZeniMax uh, very recently has said, oh, yeah, uh, this Oculus VR stuff, uh, we own we own part of this. And okay. how much they own, well, I guess that's going to get figured out by the courts. So I don't – I wish I knew the demographic of our audience a little bit better. Um, I think we steer a little bit older than your, your young kid. But for those who might not know – it's common when you sign on with a company, no matter what the company, like even if you go work for, you know, GameStop or something, um, it's common that you would sign an agreement among many other agreements when you go to work for a company that like stuff you do while you're working for them belongs to them. So like if you're working for GameStop and you come up with like you invent, let's say, a better way to store your your discs and it's something that is patentable, and you start building that and selling it. Um, I, I don't know that this is part of the agreements you sign at GameStop because I don't remember what they used to have or what they have now. But they may very well have something where you're like, yeah, anything I invent within you know the scope of GameStop while I work for GameStop totally belongs to them, 100%, and you can't make a dime off of it. And so the idea that ZeniMax would go after Oculus because stuff that Carmack like figured out or thought about while at ZeniMax and then brought to Oculus VR. That's why they might be claiming ownership. Anyway, we'll we'll talk more about this. We got to go to break, um, so we'll be right back and, and we'll cover this again. Chatterboxers. How much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You're listening to Shatterbox Video Game Radio. So I said when we went to break... That we would come back to this Oculus thing and how thievery of ideas um, is actually a thing and people get upset about it. Companies get upset about it. Uh, so one thing I found interesting in, in one of the articles you pointed me to is that, you know, they're talking about how stuff was taken, but then Oculus is like, show us the code, right? What code was taken? Yeah, and this is the, there's the, nothing. Oculus is saying that not only is the entire source code freely available online, but ZeniMax actually hasn't identified any any piece of code that they claim is stolen one or the other. And, well, there's there's a bunch of things. This is funny, right? So I'm just, I, want, I just want to read you a few more things that Oculus is saying as part of what their statement is in response to this situation. So basically they're saying, okay, number one, there was a non-disclosure agreement that this individual named Palmer Palmer Lucky Lucky Palmer Lucky. I, I'm going to say Lucky because Lucky Pal, sounds Palmer good. Lucky created the Oculus. He yeah, was the it's, guy. It's his thing. Um, so they're saying Zenimax basically misstated the purpose and the language of that NDA that Palmer Lucky signed with Zenimax. Now, what I, what I don't know, because I haven't researched this as much as you, yeah. why was he involved with ZeniMax at all? When was he signing an NDA with ZeniMax? I don't know. That's a really good question. Because he's, he's not ZeniMax. He's not. He, here's a couple other details that may or may not shed light on that particular point. So Oculus says that 
and and this I also don't think is in dispute with anybody, that when Carmack left Zenimax, and this was in August 2013, the reason why he left was that Zenimax said, hey, John Carmack, stop working on VR. And they actually, Zenimax did, they stopped investing whatever they were into any VR development. So yeah. that's that's interesting. There you was – Just to what I said a second ago, it looked yeah. – uh, there was discussion between the two about bringing Doom 3 BFG over to the Oculus. That's right. Or, or putting support on it. So that's probably why Palmer was talking to them. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So it's funny, right, because ZeniMax was demanding uh, – and this is going to get jargony uh, but exciting – a non-dilutable equity stake in the Oculus. So did you see the, the Facebook movie, whatever it was called, that came uh, out like two years ago or something? No, I successfully avoided that. Okay, so a lot of people did. And if you saw that movie, you would understand what this is. So, um, well, ac- I, can, I, I can guess, but go ahead. So according to the Facebook movie, you know, two guys started it. It was Zuckerberg and, and his buddy, whatever his name was, um, the, the Jewish kid that like had all the money. And then um, it basically Zuckerberg had the lawyers like, have the other kids sign stuff saying that, okay, you know, this is what you own in the company, but those shares were dilutable, meaning uh, Facebook could grow the number of shares that exist for the company, but not, not multiply out the other guys at the same time. So if the company has two shares, each person owns half of them, uh, or, you know, half the company, one share and one share. But right. then Zuckerberg was like, nope, now the company has 10 shares, but the other kid only owns one. So now he owns a 10th of the company instead of a half without any say in it. So non-dilutable would be the good kind where your stake, your percentage stake stays the same and, you know, is, is non-dilutable. Um, it can't go down in strength um, through, you know, something else happening. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, and I guess the company owner, uh, if you have dilutable shares, he can dilute them as much as he wants to. Yeah, exactly. Which so you gets stake to decide how much stake you have. So it, it makes sense that they would not be okay getting a non-dilutable stake, but it also um, would be weird for Oculus to be giving another company stake in theirs just for one piece of software. Yeah, so Zenimax sounds greedy, and Zenimax is like, hey, we want a non-dilutable stake, and Oculus is like, you're crazy, and so Zenimax is like, okay, then uh, we're just going to stop all this and take our ball and go home. So the really interesting thing about all of this is that it's it is now now that Facebook has invested two billion that Zenimax is getting froggy again. Oh yeah, no that that was the obvious thing that that hit me. It's like oh that's it's funny that they suddenly want to talk money. But the the side angle that I want to relate here is that. This, this incident in and of itself is kind of like a reflection of a lot of what goes on on the development side of the industry where developers who work for companies, uh, I don't want to say frequently, I'll say it is not uncommon that the employers tend to demand really, really unreasonable uh, um, stakes in whatever the employee's interest might finally be. In other words, it's it's kind of getting to the point that, especially in this situation, it sounds like to me, uh, me being a non-lawyer, that Zenimax is basically saying, well, you figured out how to do VR stuff while working for us, so... Anything that you do with VR stuff later on in your life is a consequence of you doing that using our resources, and so we own a part of it now. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a million analogies, but it could just be like, you learned how to be really good at flipping burgers at Burger King, so you can't go do that at McDonald's now. Well, this is the thing, right? It's like, where do you draw this line? Because it's completely vague. Yeah. Well, it's a skill, right? Anyone, anyone you know who works in software development, uh, every time they make a program, they're learning to do it better. I have all sorts of friends who like, you know, go from one company to another and they got good at this first company and they move on to the next. And that first company doesn't say, oh no, you got better at programming because you worked for us. So you can't do that now. Right. And I can kind of see it a little bit more in that situation because it was specific 
to VR, but yeah. still, it's just you you improved your craft with us. You can't take it elsewhere. It's total BS. If you patented something that was related to the company while you worked for them, I can at least get that. Right. Just honestly, just because I've seen it more, I still don't like it. But um, just saying, like, you got good at this thing, so now you can't go be good at that somewhere else is is overreaching by today's standards. Yeah, and actually I want to I want to uh, to to restate in a different way what I just said. It's not that it's vague, okay? That's not the problem. The problem is is that it's completely ridiculous to imply that a skill that you've developed while working at a company is it not it like does not belong to you. That I think is just ridiculous. Yeah, I wonder if colleges could start saying that any money you make when, when you leave us, you owe us yeah, because, some back because yeah, we taught you. I guess that's one of the ultimate uh, final places you'll land if you, if you go down this line of logic. Yeah, that actually couldn't happen because you were paying for that training. <laughs> yeah. But if they gave you free training, then they could probably demand something. Yeah, well, they, they shouldn't be able to demand any of this. This is the ridiculous thing. The irony of it all is that when, when you're working at a company – and if you're if you're doing any learning of significance and if you're getting better at anything, the thing that you do at that one company and get better at is the very thing that's going to make you more valuable to the next employer directly. Yep. And, and that's what often happens. And the implication here, if any of this is held up to any degree, I think is that yeah, it's tantamount to employers saying that no, okay, we own we own your learning, which is insanity. Yeah, the I mean, if they took direct chunks of code, then then that would be more more relatable to this complaint. At the same time, though, there are all sorts of lines of code that are just simple. I mean, it's it would have to be like entire procedures or functions or or whatever they're called these days. Um, taken over that are just identical. Yeah, well, and if they not, haven't found those, then I don't think they're going to. Here's the crazy part of it is that ZeniMax is not complaining that there's stolen code. They're not complaining that anything material or physical was taken. All they're saying is that the, the proprietary technology and know-how that John Carmack developed when he was an employee, that's owned by ZeniMax. That's what they're saying. Wow. Which is exactly what I was saying, which is you know, it's, insane. What's also funny about this is I had no idea that they were working on any sort of VR because they never talked about it at all. Yeah. And Oculus obviously neither, has been Neither did public. I. Well, you know, you know, you know that companies are working on things for years that you never find out about and sometimes never ever find out about because they just don't get released. Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe companies should talk more about what they're doing, the cool things, and then they would get the attention that little companies like Oculus are getting. Yeah, well, well, they don't want to do that, right? Because they don't want to. They have their own reasons. Yeah. Well, somebody might take it. Like right. in this case, Sony is suddenly making a VR headset, all of a sudden, because Oculus has a bunch of attention. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure they started working on it as soon as they thought that there was any legs to this Oculus thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've also been, they've had a headset thing for a while, so, I mean. It's not too hard to just add a tracker unit to it. And they've got hardware guys up the wazoo. So That's true. So, was Sony has had a, a – it's not, it's not head tracking, but they've had the – they had this thing a while ago. It was like in 2003. Um, it's More like, recent than that even. You know, well, no. I'm thinking uh, – there's one I actually used. I got to – when I was press, I got to use – there was like the seven $800 thing that I got to use for a while. Right. Yeah, they had one many years ago, and then a more recent one a few years ago, and then the sequel to that one just this past year. Yeah, so they're—I mean, you know—they're doing their own development on all kinds of stuff. Yeah, what a mess! I hope Zenimax loses. You hope they lose? You said yes. Yeah. Well, I'm—I'm uh, I'm certain that it—it <laughs> it won't go very far. Um, it seems the whole thing just seems really weak. So, I'm not—I'm not terribly worried about it on Oculus's behalf. Lovely. So um, let's give a little teaser. What are, what are we going to go into after after the break? Well, it could be gaming addiction. It could be Rovio. It could be Ubisoft PR. It could, could be, be Steam taking games off of early access, maybe. Uh, um, I guess it could be that too, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we'll spin the wheel and find out when we come back. We'll be right back. 
to me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. All right, we're back. We we do have a list of things to to talk about, some small, some bigger. Uh, before we do, I want to remind everyone about our Facebook page. It's slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And uh, if you have questions or comments or you want to give us a topic to discuss, uh, you can do it there. You can also email us. we got a web page. You can find it and email us there. Um, all right, so, so i got a few things. Let's just run by a few quickies that have kind of surprised me. Um, First of all, just a few... Well, actually, I've seen this for the last couple of days, but it kind of sunk in now that I saw it was confirmed. Um, there's a sequel to Shaq Fu that I guess is being made. Uh, I don't know all the details, but I think Shaq is involved. <laughs> and they had an Indiegogo. Is this Shaq's um, idea? I, I don't know about that. I, You know, because... I come up with these topics, but I don't investigate them very much. Um, but, but Indiegogo campaign was asking for $450,000. They had stretch goals. At like seven seventy five, if they got that much, then they would put out console versions. Wow! Um, they didn't get that much. They did get over four hundred seventy thousand, but they've changed their their campaign to say that they are going to come out with console versions. That's I don't a, believe that's a that much. That's a good chunk of change. It is. It is. I don't believe them when they say that it's coming out on the Wii U, but they claim it's going to be PS four, Xbox mm-hmm. One, PS three, Xbox three hundred and sixty, Wii U, and PC. Um, and if they're making it for PC, I don't know why they don't also make it for other OSs, but whatever. Um, yeah, so um, another Shaq Fu after like, what, 20 years, I think, was when the last one came out, just about 20 years ago. This is very mysterious to me because I don't think anybody liked Shaq Fu even in an ironic way. Um, y- yeah, but it's it's always had this weird... I want to say cult following. Not that anyone played the game, but that everyone knows about the game and made fun of it. And so with that, you can make a new game just off of the branding. And, I mean, hell, if it's good, then they win. If it's reasonably good. They could just take another game that is good in, like, that genre and reskin it Shaq-Fu. And I think it would do fine. Yeah. They could They could just make the video Shaq-Fu and that would have been a lot less effort for the same amount or better of comedy. Yeah. Anyway, I found it interesting, interesting that that is coming out. Another thing that is sort of a revival from the past is what's called the analog NT. Have you seen this thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, is it a pen? No, then I it is a, it it is a 500 plus dollar Nintendo. Oh, that people are making. Yeah. Out of aircraft grade aluminum. In other words, the same stuff that makes a MacBook pro. And so they, they go into this whole thing about how, you know, you want something that looks wonderful and plays wonderfully and whatever and has excellent sound. Um, <clears throat> so they're actually building a Nintendo slash Famicom. It, it has two separate cartridge Wait, so slots. so is the sound when it hits the floor because you dropped it? Is that the excellent part? <laughs> no. But I guess you can get – I don't know if there's a special thing you have to get for the sound or if it just has good sound coming out of it. You do have – if you want HDMI output, you do have to get – an adapter, which is 50 bucks after you've already spent $500 on this thing, which is crazy to me because today's standard is HDMI. So they should know, but I guess it's also an upscaler. Yeah. Well, you Um, know what the, you know what the thing is, is that, yeah, in order to properly output an HD signal from such an old analog device, they would have to actually develop their own upscan converter, which if you get a retail one, I mean, that's like several hundred dollars just right there. Yeah. Well, considering they're charging $500 for the thing, they should have done it. But yeah. that's that's a whole other development ball but of wax. That is even without like, the HDMI thing, listen, no. you have to spend $30 on the cable. So do you want a component cable with it? 29 bucks. How about a composite slash S-video cable? That'll be 29 bucks. If you want the European RGB cable, 29 bucks. Japanese SCART. Like it's all well. They're charging premium prices for cable. Are yeah. the cables also sheathed in aircraft grade aluminum? I I don't know, but um, that would you, be hot. If one thing that's interesting that and out. one thing that's interesting and a little appalling is that you can also change the colors. Um, it's cool that you can select. I want a blue one or a red one or a pink or whatever. But it is a fifty dollars charge. Now I get it because it costs money to apply um, color anodizing to aluminum. 
but it's it's just like when you add all the parts to this the system plus if you want the non standard color another 50 bucks plus you want the cable that's another 30 bucks um, it gets crazy so it's cool that people are making this what's especially sounds um, like options on a luxury car these days yeah well that's basically what it is what's especially notable about it is that it's not an emulation system it's not like the retro n5 or whatever it is um i guess they're using the original chips that were in the the famicom and the nintendo what i don't understand is like they didn't say it's actually a nintendo in a new case they're saying they're using the original chip so it sounds like they're designing and building their own boards it's, but that seems crazy to it me. It sounds like they're being deliberately vague so that you're led to believe what you just said when maybe that's not the case. It, well, exactly. Or it might be that they're actually taking apart old boards, pulling the chip off, and then, you know, because an old Nintendo board, today's stuff is built with like, what is it, like 20 nanometer traces and that stuff? Like it's crazy what you can do with silicon these days. A little higher tech than from 83, 84, 85. They could have like an adapter for the chip that leads into a silicon board that is like the size of your thumbnail instead of what used to be the larger Nintendo board because that's just a bunch of traces and resistors and whatever. Um, I doubt the Nintendo had too many chips on it. So anyway, bottom line is it's a really cool thing that they're making it's got four controller ports on it, original Nintendo ports, but, like, it's way too pricey. It's cool that they're doing it, but, um, I mean, this company is known, I, I don't know how well they're known, but the products they make are, like, really high-end stuff, so they're appealing to a specific audience. Uh, but I don't know that I, even me, and I know a lot of gaming people, and you, you too, uh, I doubt we will ever meet someone who owns this thing. Well, it's, like, the kind of thing where I'm like, well, if I had, how much is it, 500 bucks? If I had yeah. really 500 bucks that I just wouldn't care to spend on anything else ever or to save, then, right, like just super disposable, then like maybe you'd get one of those. But, yeah, I mean it's a total luxury item. That's for sure. But I want to go back to I think something you mentioned about this last uh, – before we started the show, which is is there a controller that's made out of pure metal here? Uh, no. It's the original – controller so if you want you can buy the um a brand new original nintendo controller for 50 bucks or you can buy a refurbished one for 30 bucks what? and if you want a famicom controller the only option is refurbished these these they, people's values are completely backwards what's interesting is they don't mention any option for an a famicom player 2 controller which has different things on it than yeah, the player like, 1 controller well, like that microphone thing that Exactly. One or three games used or whatever. But I would expect them to do that. And by the way, while we were talking, I found um, in their fact, it says, where do the original Nintendo CPU and PPU come from? And I say, we were able to procure a large quantity of HVC 001 Famicom systems that were in cosmetically undesirable, unsellable condition. The plastic controller of the systems was notoriously yellow, brittle, and damaged, while the poor enclosure quality left these systems undesirable and sitting on a shelf. The CPU and PPU inside remain untouched and fully functional. Not only were we able to give new life to these systems, but a large portion of the controllers have been refurbished and are available for sale too. So they got old systems. What they haven't said is if they're putting the original boards inside of it yeah. or not. Because the system itself is very small. I think they're missing um, out on a great opportunity to make pure metal controllers here. Because that's, uh, that's what I would buy. Well, what's interesting, too, is that the Nintendo is just switches. You could make a controller out of just wires um, for, for the NES and Famicom. You don't – I mean, I don't know about the one that has the, the microphone in it. That's a different story. But for a standard uh, NES controller, yeah. it's just switches. You yeah. could make a controller without any special boards or you don't have to take apart an old controller. You could totally build your own from scratch um, with very little knowledge. So I am surprised they didn't make their own. But at the same time – People want this old, real experience. I guess they could do one that's shaped the same way out of metal and stuff. But anyway, they're not going to do that apparently. See, the thing that's a shame is that with such like a great quality material, you don't even get to touch it. I'm all about touching the things I buy. You mean like you would you would if you spent something so much on something, you would feel the urge to not play it? No, I'm saying that it's a shame that they're making all spending all this time on the console itself 
without actually doing anything interesting with the actual part of it that you touch, which is the controller. Yeah. I guess you have you to know, turn the thing on. I guess that's that's going to be a uh, dramatic experience, you know, the feel of cold, hard metal for a split second before you enjoy your Famicom games. One thing they haven't touched on is whether or not they're using the, the original um, cartridge connectors, which, you know, everyone knows went bad pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, you know, spitting into it as a kid also probably didn't help that. But that's one of those chicken and the egg things. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, I'm done. I have a couple topics that, that I got out of the way that I wanted to talk about. So you go next. All right. Well, I'll give you my, my uh, quickies, as we say, since we're limited time this segment. Okay, let's see. Uh, remember, remember, remember Rovio? Yeah, Angry, Angry Birds. Birds. Okay, well, you know what Angry Birds has been up to lately? Um, I know that some developers left Angry Birds and started their own place. Yeah. Well, besides that, Rovio is doing something called uh, we have to find out how to keep making money. Yeah. I saw something the other day. Like they have a lot of different Angry Birds stuff you can buy, you know, like lunchboxes and that sort of thing. I saw something the other day. I can't remember what it was. The story has become useless, but it caught me by surprise. I was really surprised to see that oh, wow, there's that thing as Angry Birds. Um, so they have definitely stretched pretty far yeah, well that, in, in what they're willing to, to brand. That thing uh, may be one of uh, several things they're doing now in order to um, make up for the fact that, let's see, mm, their profits are actually down by more than 50% uh, 2013 fiscal year. Well, they haven't released anything big yeah. lately. They, they had a brand new game in 2013, The Bad Piggies. But they haven't uh, like, that really had a new brand. brand new. So, yeah, and so in other brand new things that they're working on, uh, apparently they formed a movie animation production team. I think I heard about that. Yeah, so they're okay. making an Angry Birds film themselves. That takes a lot of money. And then they're also going into – they made a completely separate animation studio to make a TV show. That's Angry Birds TV show. Totally separate. Wow. Yeah. So okay. it's a little well, bit – I don't know. It seems weird because it's like, well, if you're trying to make more money by milking the same thing you've been milking for the past several years, one would think that might not be the best way to go. But that's yeah, all you they got. Need to, they need to come up with a new, a new brand or a new game. Anyway, it's time for break. We'll be back with more interesting stuff in just a second. We're back once again. It's Shatterbox Video Game Radio. So what do we got? What else? What do we have left? One one big segment, one big topic. Right. We got a big topic for a big segment. How about that? I'm ready. I want to talk about addiction and more specifically, of course, gaming addiction. All right. So this is really interesting because – I've been seeing various stories about this lately. Coming and out of Asia or, or over here? No, it's just um, not in any one particular place. It's just in general. I'm seeing a little bit more reporting than average on it. And this is, this is an interesting topic to me because – so there's certain addictions that are officially recognized as being – actual, real psychological conditions that, right, that, they're, that are in, like, the DSM whatever, right, that says what all the, that big book that says what all the real addictions and diseases of mental health are, blah, blah, blah. The, the DSM-5? Yeah, whatever they're up to now. So, you know, the obvious stuff, right, stuff like gambling, right, like that, 
scientists and doctors agree that is a real addiction. Um, sex, I guess, although that's hard for me to fathom how that could be addicted. I mean, an addiction. I mean, I can't fathom how that could be bad no matter how much of it you do. <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. And so the funny thing is, is that game gaming addiction is not – has n- not yet been classified in any way uh, as grouped within those things. But it is – people do seem to think that that, that is a very real thing. And one of the angles I want to talk about is it's it's funny because I thought about, well, what's a gaming addiction? And I started to realize that a sen- the sense of what a gaming addiction could be actually really depends on what kind of game you're playing. And games are so varied in, ter- in terms of what the experience is like that this actually – I mean, it may be that gaming addictions are actually subsets of other addictions and that there could be very different types of addiction that we all just lump as gaming addiction. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the most obvious ones that we think of is like the MMO addict, right? They, they can't. Can they just play a lot? Because, because what happens is, right, they don't just play a lot. They play so much that their real-life obligations, responsibilities fall by the wayside, right? So it's things like, I don't know, right? You start ordering pizza through World of Warcraft instead of doing it in in real-life things, and you start not taking showers, and you start not doing the real-life things so you can do the fake-life things, right? I mean, that's... I think we can all agree that is a real addiction, and that is a bad addiction because people who get caught up in that, well, they just waste away even though they, they're somehow developing something that's at least meaningful to them in, in their MMO world. So there's that, right? But then there's other kinds. There's – now that we have these free-to-play games, the free-to-play addiction is actually a lot like a gambling addiction in a lot of ways. I think it's actually just a – another angle of the same sort of thing, a gambling addiction. Uh, But then there's something else even. And this this aspect of it kind of confounds the whole thing because would you – let's think of somebody like an Olympic athlete, okay? Uh, I don't know. What's your favorite Olympic sport, Alon? Um, I don't really have one, but of course I say curling. There's that American swimmer that everybody knows and loves. Okay. Like something. Okay, fine. I guess Phelps is a little more exciting than curling. So, like, for example, let's talk about Michael Phelps. Okay. Or actually, you know what? Let's make this even more interesting. Let's talk about, um, like, one of those uh, Russian ice skaters. Okay. Inevitably, so, there will be one named Natasha. So the, yeah, that. yeah. So they're because they're really young, and so that just makes it all the more confounding, which is uh, exciting. Would you say that a Olympic sixteen-year-old Olympic athlete in figure skating is she addicted? Let's say. Let's say. Actually, this makes it worse. Let's say that it was all her idea. So let's go back to Michael Phelps. Okay. So that he has agents. He has a. Uh, um, unequivocal agency over his own pursuits, okay? Is Michael Phelps addicted to swimming? Well, you'd say, well, no, he's not addicted to swimming because swimming is his life. Well, wait a minute. You see what I'm trying to get at here? Yeah, except the swimming actually leads him to an income that enables him to survive, whereas when we refer to gaming addiction, it's at the cost of everything else that you're supposed to be doing in order to survive. Right, but at the same time, there are there are game playing practices that you can engage in that if you are sufficiently devoted to them and also sufficiently smart about it you can actually make those into really meaningful well uh uh really exactly the analog of what you just said for Michael Phelps yeah, you could turn it into a job yeah like look at um, I don't know, pick your League of Legends or 
FPS professional video game player. Yeah, but so, the difference here is that there are people who are so even if you're let's say you're not in a professional gaming league and you're working towards it, you would still go to your job and do the work that you need to make an income and then when you're not doing that, you are practicing your game or or you just have yeah, but your life is such that you can afford that time. And yeah. when you refer to it as an addiction, it's when like you were saying it eats into the other things that you're supposed to be doing and and causes strain on those areas of your life. Right, but even so, the the types of if you think about professional video game players or even this this Gran Turismo competition thing that I half-heartedly do every year. Except for this year. I'm not going to do it half-heartedly this year. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Um, it's the kind of thing where the competition is so fierce, is so intense, that in order for you to have any hope of being successful, you have to dedicate yourself to the point that your pursuit of this becomes indistinguishable from these other addictions. This is basically my point. And it's kind of like the same thing with any really elite type of competition. I was watching um, – OK. So like you know I like to work out and stuff, right? Yep. So there's this new movie that came out that was – that's like a pseudo sequel to Pumping Iron. And it's called Generation Iron. Seriously? Yeah. And it's about all the new bodybuilders okay. of, of this generation. And the thing is, is that – You know, some people have more or less privilege, but the body, the road of the bodybuilder and the road to Mr. Olympia, which is the most coveted and most absolute final uh, recognition and prize you can achieve as a bodybuilder, the road to get that is so competitive that you have no choice but to dedicate pretty much every ounce of your life to pursuing that at the cost of everything else. But we don't – and a lot of these people have done this because they've done this before they had a way to do it. Like there's no way to do it that's uh, middle of the road, kind of like how you were explaining, right? Like have a job and do this on the side. Mm-hmm. You just can't because you don't have enough time. You're not going to make it. And so now what do we, what do we say about this? Right, because this is an addiction, but this is an addiction that is getting you somewhere in life, or at least has the potential to. So I guess that makes it okay. Well, but, I but, think it makes it okay, right? But so I think wrap it, this up for a for a bow with me. Are you trying to say that gaming addiction is okay? I'm trying to say that gaming. There's actually a lot of different things that you can get addicted by. And there's a lot of dynamics that you could call addiction in gaming, but I think that some of them are worthy and some of them are not so worthy. And I don't know the answer to, uh, you know, what do we say about extreme elite competitions, you know, because that happens in games and you have to dedicate your life and you have to sacrifice things to the point that you suffer in other aspects of your life. I guess all I'm saying is that it's not clear at all what constitutes an addiction. So are you trying to say that basically gaming addiction isn't necessarily bad if you can cope with it properly? I, I guess. Well, well, no addiction is necessarily bad if you can turn it around to, uh, to a success. But then you I mean, still – but he, here's the other thing that makes it even more confounding is that even if you do – see, here's the problem. OK? When I fantasize about like, oh, how cool would it be to be Mr. Olympia? And then not only do I see how hard these people work – how much – how badly they want it, how badly they're dripping with this desire every single day for it. Besides that, forget about all that. You see like what the champion has done to themselves as a result of being successful. In other words, look, you build up your body like crazy but your body also suffers because of that. Uh, yeah, Physically, although it's, it's I, kind of like being a wrestler. It's like it's not universal with all addictions, though. Not all addictions destroy your body in some way. Yeah, I guess so. But there is, but there is some kind of suffering in some way, isn't there? Isn't um, there always some kind of thing about it that even if it's not completely destroyed, well, like like you said, I think what we're doing is is saying that addiction is when it 
ruins your life and it's not addiction if even though you're doing the same thing yeah you manage to make it valuable which is strange because you're right like it is still the same actions um but it, the motivation is different so an addiction is when you have to do it you can't leave it beside you look at phelps or you know the hypothetical russian 16 year old skater they might not want to do it uh necessarily or feel like and a compulsion to do it, but they're doing it for some other reason. Like they really want to hit some certain goal. Like Phelps wanted, I don't know, to do something. Uh, but like there was a while where he was just like, you know, I quit and I'm not going to do it uh, until he went back to it. So he was certainly capable of, of not continuing. Whereas when we talk about addiction, it's like, you can't put it down. You have to. And I have a hard time accepting that there's a true addiction to video games, but there certainly is action that appears as as an addiction and the real question goes a lot deeper something we didn't touch on at all is the psychology what gets you to the point that you have to do something compulsively because you're basically probably trying to escape something else in your life and i perhaps we're negligent in not discussing that but i also don't think either of us are properly equipped to do that Mm, i don't know i might have some equipment there but (laughs) we're out of show so yeah we we can bring it back next week if you want think on it ponder it and uh, certainly if anybody has stories about what they what they feel is their own addiction or someone else who might have um, maybe someone you've seen with that sort of sort of thing going on in their lives, uh, you know, let us know. Put it on the yeah. Facebook or email and, Let's and we'll do that. bring it Actually, up and talk about it. Listeners, I'll make you a deal. If you'd like us to revisit this with another angle or the ones that we didn't mention, uh, either email us or say so on the Facebook or something, because if not, I'm going to forget all about it. All right. And we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.